All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers postgame show after yet another frustrating game. Although, Benet, I don't know about you, man. I'm feeling weirdly positive after this one. I know that sounds insane to say. Um, and it has nothing to do with the comeback, which I think you and I will g- get into. But first of all, I sincerely appreciate you on short notice coming to hop on tonight while Raj is partying, listening to EDM music, doing God knows what else. I know. I th- where is he? He's in Vegas right now? Dude, doing something, some 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 EDM <laughs> festival. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that I could fill uh, fill Raj's seat. I'll, I'll try to do my best to to fill his role for for this episode, this post game. I appreciate it, man. Um, so you know, obviously, as things were progressing in the game, it was extremely frustrating. But I kept trying to compartmentalize it by acknowledging, you know, where things went off the rails. And you actually did a good job of calling this out as well. But I feel like the Lakers lost their focus in the second quarter. And when you do that against a team as good as Phoenix, with the continuity that they have, and at the level that they're playing right now, things can get out of control pretty quickly. And I, th- my impression was that it kind of started with those bad three-point shot fouls. And I genuinely believe they were bad calls. That said you can't let a bad call in the second quarter get that far into your head. And then you, you brought up the fact that Chris Paul at that point kind of smelled blood or, you know, picked up on what was happening and just went for the kill. And, and during that stretch, he was magnificent. So do you want to talk about what you noticed in that stretch? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the turning point of this game is when Chris Paul got into his generational troll bag and just started baiting the Lakers into just, you know, like, Stupid fouls. Um, you know, he started doing a lot of the stuff that he kind of does when, and, and you know, it's it's one of the things that makes him uh, the player that he is. Like he he always has a pretty good uh, finger on like the pulse of the game and how the refs are calling the game and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I thought he was working really hard to get calls. Um, I was shocked at some of the calls that he was getting, um, but he was getting them, and I think it completely took the Lakers out of it. And um, it's I I think w- what you just described, like. Crowder getting that flagrant foul on Braun. Um, I think Chris Paul drew another three-point foul just a little bit later. I think on Melo or something like that. Like it, mm-hmm. just, it just that completely put the Lakers in a funk. And I don't think the Lakers ever kind of recovered from it because they probably thought there was a lot of 50-50 calls they weren't getting um, on the opposite end. And, I mean, you you played basketball. I haven't played the same level of basketball you have. I played in high school. But, like, that kind of stuff – when you're not getting calls on your end and then the other team, it seems like they're getting every, all the calls. It, it kind of can seep in um, to the psyche of your team for the game. And I thought the Lakers just pretty much completely lost focus at that point. Uh, and then, you know, I, I think it's weirded out. Like after at halftime, I was like, all right, either the Lakers are going to cut this lead in half, like within the first six minutes of the game, or they're going to get blown out. And that's, you know, it, it went in the opposite direction um, towards the blowout. So it's kind of what, what I expected to happen. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because uh, during that stretch simultaneously, because you have to think, how, how could it go so bad so fast, right? Because they were up 26-20. You, despite all of the things that I complain about with the Laker offense, which we will get to, and they are still legitimate concerns having to do with spacing. Um, and you you and I were uh, uh, in a direct message kind of talking about what we were um, viewing as the main talking points from this game. And we will get into those. But the you know, during that stretch, when the Lakers were up 26-20, there was a lot of good. For starters, I thought Russ looked fantastic, with exception of a couple of bad jump shots. He did a really good job, in my opinion, defensively putting his physical imprint on the game. 
and and looks like what this version of Russ with this team could look like in, in a good capacity. And to Phoenix's credit, the way it went off the rails so fast, in addition to the Lakers losing their focus, they were extremely dialed in on the defensive end of the floor, disrupting everything around the paint in terms of passes and drives and, and, and rotations. And Mikhail Bridges had this stretch there in that quarter where defensively he was just like an octopus, just getting his hands on everything. And so I wanted to start by just giving Phoenix credit. During that stretch, they just played magnificent basketball. And the Lakers right now are not playing good basketball. They haven't played good basketball through these through the entire preseason and really for most of these two regular season games. So inevitably, when you let your focus off, the team that is dialed in, the team that has the continuity, the team that's playing good basketball is is going to put you out of your misery pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty consistent, right? So like the, the opening game, uh, they play the Warriors who have uh, a decent amount of turnover themselves on their roster. And so we saw the Lakers kind of pretty much be in control of the game, even though it, it kind of it was like a, a game of runs. I think Rodgers, that's the thing that he's coined a while back. Like it's just uh, it, it, the game was always like seven points, eight points, seven points, eight points. Warriors were cut into the lead. Lakers extended out. It never really turned into like blowout territory or, or big double digit territory. And then eventually towards the end of the game, um, you know, Warriors went small and they, they kind of took the lead and then they never, never gave it back up. So, like, you could see the Lakers, a team with no continuity, matching up with another team with no continuity and just, you know, talent and scheme kind of working out, and they lose it in the end. But then the Lakers this game, they play against a team that has a lot of continuity from, from you know, all, everything that they did last season. Most of that mm-hmm. roster, the core of that roster is pretty intact. So they know what they have going. Um, but even then, you know, like, it, it was kind of good to see Russ start this game off pretty well. Um, despite the two bigs starting, which I know that you mentioned we're going to get into later. But, and Braun, again, you know, like I think I've mentioned this when, when I kind of jumped on just to offer some comments last time when you, Roger, on. Braun's shot quality is so good. Like some of these mm-hmm. threes he's taking are like wide, wide open. Some of the mid range shots he's taking, they're wide open. It's his quality, shot quality is so good. So it's just, I'm hoping that that continues to stay there and everybody else kind of starts figuring things out. But, you know, it's 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 going to be a learning process. Like I don't know what the Lakers' record is going to be. Um, I'm saving a lot of my thoughts to to see uh, what Vogel does with these lineups. But he made some changes um, in this game lineup wise that I thought were good compared to the last game, and and they it looked pretty good to me. Yeah, he waited a lot longer to go to Rondo. We noticed that his first sub off the bench was Malik Monk. Uh, uh, in general, you know, so this is something you said to me in the direct message, which I thought was super fascinating because it's something that I've been harping on this entire summer, this idea. I was, it was the one article I wrote on the, on the blog that I started that I said I was going to write occasionally and occasionally has turned out to do once. So the article I wrote was about just modern basketball and, and, you know, the, the, the way that the smartest minds in the NBA right now approach the game. And uh, looking past all the scheme stuff, because you can get convoluted into all sorts of stuff having to do with specific actions and the things they do off the ball and the things they do on the ball and blah, 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 blah. But the gist of it is what Phoenix is doing. You've got your primary creators. There's three of them on the team. They run everything through campaign, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. And every single one of their actions involves getting one of them an advantage, usually involving some sort of either off-ball screen or on-ball screen. And then from there, they space the floor. And, and because of that, everything they get is easy. 
And what's frustrating for me watching this Laker team, especially, you know, with the, the, the lineups that Frank has opted to go with in these first two games is the stars are not getting those same opportunities. You know, uh, uh, Pete from Laker Film Room, you know, as obsessive as he is, which is such a blessing because he does a lot of the dirty work for us. He charts all these possessions out and he charted and, and realized that in the first game, the starting lineup in the half court attempted 14 shots and attempted two shots at the rim. And fortunately, um, we can interpret from that that the spacing leads them to become jump shooters. And that happened again tonight. By my count, that Russ drive to the basket where he got free throws, which was on like their seventh or eighth possession of the game, was their first attempt in the paint. Everything else was a jump shot. That's just what you're going to get when you put those guys in a position where they can't get an advantage because of the way the defense is loading up on them. And so what I'd like to see is like what you saw there in that fourth quarter, you space the floor and everything just starts with getting the ball in your best player's hands with an advantage from there. Everything will be easier. Guys will be in a better rhythm. I don't think it's a coincidence that Anthony Davis in two of his last three games, including that preseason game against the Kings looked awful because he's not getting easy looks at the rim. I do think those things are related. And I think that that's all part of the living organism of a basketball game. And it's the part that's getting ignored as Frank heavily favors size and heavily favors, you know, that, that defensive mentality at the expense of the, of the rhythm and focus, the rhythm and, and confidence of his stars. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm on board with you. Um, so, so there's actually one thing that I just kind of, I, I wanted to talk about and um, you know, a lot of the conversation that's been going on by, by very, very smart folks, Laker fans and non, non-Laker fans, just very smart folks around basketball, uh, is, has been around that, this idea that, you present, that you're mentioning right now, right? Like spacing the floor out, giving, giving your best players an advantage to play is important. Um, but, but I think as it relates to like the Lakers, one of the things that I'm, I'm seeing a lot on the timeline is, oh, well, you've got to do it for Russ. You've got to do it for Russ. You've got to do it for Russ. And, I, and I, the thing that I think folks are – the only thing I want to like suggest to folks is it's not about just Russ. This is the direction. Like if we had Dennis Schroeder or if we had like, I don't know, even if we had like Chris Paul in Russ's position, this is the direction that NBA offenses are going in. This is, yep. this is separate from Russ altogether. It doesn't matter whether he's on a roster or not. Spacing the floor is absolutely necessary. And so the, the reason why I'm saying this is because we've had what, maybe about three, three days worth of games come through. Right. And yeah. I watched a couple. I watched the Nets games because they were they were the um, early game before the Laker games. Um, I watched the Atlanta game. Uh, I watched that Clippers Warriors game last night, and I was absolutely fascinated at the fact that both teams at one point were running almost four guards, like four maybe like six five or shorter kind of guards, ball handlers, and they'd run like a like a single you know high motor rebounding wing. And when I saw mm-hmm. that. And, you know, obviously some of that's playing the game of chess, Tyron Lue playing chess um, uh, against Steve Kerr and just trying to match up and stuff like that. But what was happening is those teams were trying to match up, like, in not just space, but they're trying to match up, like, the speed that's on the floor. Like, if you yep. watch today's Laker game, you saw a couple of, you saw a couple of possessions where uh, the Suns just got out faster than the Lakers could, you know, in transition. And they got an eat. Like, I think I want to I – I think Michael uh, Michael Bridges probably had like what two or three just kind of wide open dunks, just kind of running the outlet or something like that. So yeah. that that there's there's a um, 
the thing with the two bigs is not just a Vogel thing or a, or a Russell Westbrook thing. This is a this is the direction the NBA is going in, and I uh, I just don't know what Vogel is sort of thinking the trade off here is because it, it's not making any sense to keep playing two bigs. So I'm, I'm just I'm just waiting to see when he adjusts. You know, uh, I thought he he played the uh, the single big with AD. Um, after that first shift happened, uh, when they brought in Malik Monk and I think Avery Bradley next to Russ, and then AD went to the five, and that looked really good. Uh, the, mm-hmm. You know, the, the ball was moving; there was good shots coming out. Um, but you know, th- they need more reps. I, I just, I don't know about the two bigs thing. Like, I, I'm not seeing in any game that I've seen so far this season. I have not seen any team run two bigs successfully, like just dominate another team with two bigs. And you know, it's it's just interesting to see. Yeah, even if you're like, if, as a Laker fan, when you see that Kevon Looney's starting, aren't you thrilled? You're excited. You're like, oh, thank God they're playing Kevon Looney. Like, it's an advantage that you're that they're basically playing into your hands. And I love what you brought up about the speed thing because it reminds me a lot of you know what's happening in the NFL. You know, like for instance, a linebacker 15 years ago was Brian Urlacher. You know, this giant mountain of a human being who stopped everything inside. That, that, that came his way. And now the a successful linebacker in the NFL is Micah Parsons, you know, this smaller six, one, six, two ish type of speedy, like rangy. It's almost like a hybrid between a cornerback and a linebacker. That, that is the evolution of the game that the Cowboys, you know, read in advance and made a really smart draft pick and it's helping them win games. And that, that to me is like, you're either going to be on the right side of that kind of stuff, or you're going to be on the wrong side of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's kind of discouraging because do you guys remember uh, Frank's first interview when he was like, we're going to take an analytical outside in approach. And he said all he said all the right. He sounded like that modern basketball mind that we desperately wanted after the Luke Walton experience. Right. And it's been kind of discouraging because at the end of the day, the way the way that Frank looks at it, it seems to me, at least that he's obsessed with a certain amount of of that rim deterrence. Right. And then, but the point is, is it only worked in 2020 because he had these guards that were really willing to put in the work to get over the top of screens, chase guys off the three point line and closeouts, rotate in that chaos and funnel everybody inside. But this year right now, so far, at least the guard core hasn't been able to hold up their end of the bargain. So now we just look slow. So at a certain point, you have to adapt and, 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 and call an audible here. And, and I'm with you. Like just and one of my biggest beefs with the whole thing is all these people that say, hey, when you ditch DeAndre Jordan or you ditch Dwight Howard as the center, you have rebounding problems. You have size problems. Bullshit. You have LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the front court. But maybe, maybe Brooke Lopez and Giannis are the only other front court in the league that's bigger. Like they and Russell Westbrook is like a center version of a guard. So they absolutely can handle the physical responsibilities of a five-man lineup with those three on the floor without a center. And so it's actively handicapping them. And th- by the way, DeAndre Jordan, plus four again tonight. So he yeah, plus so, so, two on opening night, plus four. Okay. What, what, what would that have been if it was no, anybody no. else? <laughs> okay, so, so I, I saw somebody tweet that, so I thought that was hilarious, right? So I, I, get, I get that, right? I, I understand why it's plus two and plus four, but if we – if you rewatch the starts of those games, right, and, and you look at how, how both those games are, 
LeBron starts off super hot against the Warriors at the beginning of that first game, right? So that first shift that DeAndre is part of, before he leaves the floor, the Lakers are up like 10 or something. I forgot what they were up against the Warriors or something like that. They had a pretty decent lead. And then he'll, he doesn't come back into the game until way, you know, basically the second half. So that number is always misleading because it's really big because of the first shift. And then the first shift of the second half, it gets, you know, slightly cut into uh, because, you know, eventually Vogel will be a little bit quick with the rotation change. So it's a yep. plus two. And then, and then this game, this game is like literally the same thing, right? Like Russ starts off really well. Um, Phoenix doesn't start off very well. And, and uh, this is a separate conversation but, uh, or a separate topic. But Phoenix had very, very good looks at the beginning of the game. And in the mid-range, uh, especially Booker, he just missed him. That's all it mm-hmm. was. Like DeAndre, was, DeAndre wasn't challenging him. Nobody was getting in front of him. Him and Chris Paul had really good looks, and they were just missing and really those quickly, mid-range not, not, to, not to cut you off, yeah. remember how good the looks Steph got in the first quarter of the opening night game? Right. Those were fantastic right. looks that he just missed. Right, exactly. And so, and so it's, it's misleading because you're, if you're just looking at the box score at the end of the game, you're like, well, hold on a second. Why does DeAndre look so good? Or if Frank Vogel is doing this, which I hope he's not doing, if he's looking at the box score and saying that DeAndre looked good, like you have to look at the film and, and see that the shot quality that the opposing team was getting was really good. They just weren't making them. So then I, that's how I knew like toward in the second half of the game, I was like, at some point, Chris Paul is just going to start making all these mid-range shots because he's going to know that, oh, DeAndre's not going to challenge this shot. And um, that's basically what happened, right? In the second half, he just Chris Paul kind of gets into this mode where he just goes to wherever his favorite spots are on the court. And then by the time the Lakers switch Anthony Davis to the five, Chris Paul's already got it going. Right. So mm-hmm. he, he, he can't do anything. Chris Paul's just going to shoot rainbow shots. And so that's, that's kind of my, my concern. You're jamming up the, the spacing, you're jamming up the natural flow of your offense. And at, at the same time, the analytics are probably telling you, even though they may be telling you that DJ is playing well or, or lineups with DJ and AD are playing well, they're not. Because if you're watching the tape, the shot quality for the opposing team is amazing. They're just not making their shots. And yep. eventually they will. And, and that's basically what's happened in both of these games. So I, I just don't, you know, I think last year I was a little bit more lenient with Vogel when it came to this entire process. And I was just like, you know, or sorry, not last year, the, the very, very first year that he was, he was hired. I was like, all right, this doesn't make sense, but I understand where he's coming from. And obviously the Lakers won a championship last season because the Lakers were out of the playoffs early. I spent, you know, I watched a lot of the games that, that other teams are playing. I just, the way the refs call the game now, you know, I, I think Laker fans were pretty pissed today that Braun wasn't getting calls at the rim. AD wasn't getting calls at the rim, especially against like smaller guys. Like folks need to understand the direction that this, the, the, the league is going in. This is what refs are going to do. If you are a smaller defender against a bigger, a bigger offensive player, they're going to give you leniency. It's almost mm-hmm. a guarantee now. There should be no confusion about it. So, Aside from the spacing stuff and the direction the league is going in, the refs are not going to give you those calls anymore. Braun is not going to get collision calls anymore. They're just not going to give it to him. And so you might as well size down and match up with a guy like Jay Crowder because maybe he has a better chance than, than being matched up against like a Michael Bridges or uh, you know, whoever, they, whoever else they decide to play that's smaller than Braun. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point because you got to – like it's funny. You got you to gotta read the tea leaves here. You got to see what the refs are – favoring and what they're not favoring and, and adapt. Like, for instance, like LeBron was really frustrated because he wasn't getting calls at the rim. And then he tried one of those janky three-point shot fouls. And it's like, 
dude, like they, they are, they are actively being coached to not call that. So you're, you're, you're not going to get it. You've got to kind of uh, adapt in, in that regard. These it's weird how with the, in uh, like, and here's the other part too. Like I'm frustrated with the landing space stuff, right? We all are, That that was, it was really annoying that LeBron closed out on Jay Crowder with the exact same closeout that Abdel Nader used on Russell Westbrook at the end of the game. And Russ gets called for an offensive foul and, and Jay Crowder gets uh, two free throws and the ball because of a flagrant. Like it's really frustrating that that happened. But at the end of the day, to your point from the beginning, they let that get into their head and you can't let a call in the second quarter of a game throw you off as much as they did. But so let's, let's, let's try to get to some positive stuff here because I do think like, like I said at the beginning, I am optimistic about this team in the long run. I think that basketball is a game of habits. I've always felt this way and they are impossible to reverse overnight. And I do think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that you lose your preseason games, all six of them. Because what that means is down the roster, including your G League guys, there is a, a level of accountability and a level of effort that is lacking compared to the other team you're playing. Because, you know, Austin Reeves is every bit as good as the G League guy on the other team, and so is Chondi Brown and all these other guys. The difference is, is that team culturally in their training camp was more dialed in on that end. And it, it became abundantly clear that the Lakers in those games, and it manifested into these two regular season games, just weren't as sharp. And so fortunately, they are going to run into a stretch here where they're going to get some winnable games. So they're going to have, a, they're going to have the opportunity to try to reverse some of these habits uh, against competition that they can still afford to make some mistakes. Because again, and it's not going to happen overnight, and God willing, they'll be somewhere in that seven to two, you know, uh, six and three range when they head back into a tougher part of their schedule. So that, that this is what I've been preaching about all preseason. They look terrible and that's continued here to the start, but they have time to figure this out. They're not going to get into the tough part of their schedule until, you know, another uh, couple weeks from now. They just eventually their competitive fire has to kick in a little bit. And it did there in that fourth quarter, although Phoenix let their foot off the gas. Oh, but they oh, need to it, ride it, that competitive wave into better basketball. Yeah. Oh, it, it's that that competitive wave is coming sooner or later. Like I, I oh, you know, yeah. I think one of, one of the things that I kind of took, I've been watching as opposing teams play against play against Lakers is, you know, like I've seen a lot of basketball like in my lifetime, a lot of Lakers basketball, a lot, a lot of basketball in general. As guys get older, like the, the superstar players and the star players get older, there's always a point, you know, uh, in their career where younger players kind of come in and they and they're very disconnected from the aura and and the the like amazingness of of the player that they're playing against right so braun maybe five Mm -hmm. years ago seven years ago you anybody who played against braun always was like wow you know i've I've always thought a young guy playing against would be like oh wow you know like i've always wanted braun's been my idol i've always wanted to play against him and and there there are players that are still like that right now but you are also going to get players like jay crowder you are also going to get players like, you know, like a Jordan Poole who really don't care about who they're playing against. And they're going to bring like, you know, the the, the um, what, what's this? What's the saying? You know, like when you play against like a juggernaut team and you just know you're probably not going to win or they've got a guy on the other team that nobody can stop. And so you're walking mm-hmm. into that game thinking to yourself, like, you know, maybe halfway like, oh, all right, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to we're probably not going to win this game. I'm just going to try my best. Like, I don't think teams look at the Lakers like that. This, this season does that make sense mm-hmm. like i think oh, people, yeah, there's fear yeah I, I think people look at 
Anthony Davis, they say, all right, you know what? If I, if I try to bully this guy a little bit, maybe, maybe I can win this game, you know? Or they look at Braun and they say, okay, maybe if I give him a hard foul here or there or if I, or if I really kind of get in this space or something like that, I can make it difficult for him. That doesn't mean that, that these guys, you know, the Lakers are just going to fold. But I genuinely think that there's enough young players amongst all these contending teams uh, across the league that the Lakers are going to have to run into where they're going to give the Lakers, you know, 100%. And they're not going to be afraid, you know, even if they go down 10, 10 points, 12 points. It means nothing in the modern NBA. So it's like the reason I'm saying that is because we're playing uh, – the Lakers are playing Memphis the next game. Like yeah. Memphis John is Ryan's not going, coming for him. Yeah, John Moran thinks he's yeah. winning that game. Yeah, exactly. Like none of these teams at the Lakers – I know that you mentioned that there's a soft schedule, but none of these teams are looking at the Lakers. Outside of maybe like the bottom five teams, like they're not looking at the Lakers as like – a oh, you know what, you know, we're just going to lose, so I'm not going to try. Like, every single one of these teams probably believes that they can beat the Lakers, um, and they want to make a name for themselves doing it. So I think it's good, because I would love to see more opposing players talk trash to Braun and talk trash mm-hmm. to AD, because if they think that they're going to coast through the, the regular season, I don't think that's going to happen. And not so that's, that, that's, yeah. a, that's what I'm fascinated to see, how they respond. Yeah, that's a really good point. You're, you're, and, and that's kind of what I like about it is like these games are going to be close. And that's good because if you look in previous seasons, they run into these stretches of their schedule and they develop bad habits. You know what I mean? These would be the parts of the schedule where they get worse. And then they'd run into a good team and it'd be like running into a freight train. Um, you know, it's funny because earlier tonight, so many people were talking about how bad Brooklyn looked. And I noticed in that first game against Milwaukee, that it, it seemed really clear to me right up front that Milwaukee was attacking that game with a playoff intensity. Meanwhile, if you watched um, uh, uh, Brooklyn, they looked like they were kind of easing their way into it, you know, and then they got their butts kicked and they fought back and they tried to get back into it. It just wasn't, wasn't enough. And then again, tonight, same kind of deal on the road in Philly, you know, Brooklyn still kind of easing their way into things. And then like they, they get their, their, find themselves down, you know, 10, 15 points throughout the game. Finally, their competitive nature kicked in, you know, right around that. I think it was that first time out of the fourth quarter and they locked in and they were talented enough to overcome it because they weren't in that big of a deficit. That's kind of what happened for the Lakers tonight. They were just down by 30. <laughs> you know, like It was just, it was just too much for them to overcome. But the point is, is like there was a clear difference in the overall intensity and focus and competitiveness and willingness to, to do what it takes to win between what the Warriors were doing and what the Suns were doing and what the Lakers were doing. And, and that gap needed to be bridged. And, and even though it didn't amount to a win tonight, like as we're always going to talk about with these regular season games, when you play 82 of them, we're more concerned about process. We're more concerned mm-hmm. about what translates to the playoffs. The, the Lakers, if they're, if they're seven and two after this stretch, and they go into Milwaukee and they are going to Portland, I think is the one after that. And they go into Portland and they beat Portland and they're eight and two. They will completely erase what happened in this week. No one will care. No one's going to care about them. Uh, Jay Crowder clowning them. No one's going to care about, you know, a, a CP three literally turning Anthony Davis into a barbecue chicken leg. Like <laughs> no one's going to care because they'll be eight and two and they will have just won a big game on the road. That's the way the NBA regular season works. They just need to kick that, like, they're like a rusty engine right now that's trying to get going again, you know what I mean? So, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Uh, so, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think process, I think the regular season, especially when you have this many people, uh, new faces to the roster and stuff like that, that's, that, it is a process to get them integrated, figure things out and whatnot. And so, you know, obviously, 
most of the conversation and, and the thought process has been around how Russell Westbrook's going to integrate with the Lakers. Um, he wasn't that great the first game. He was much better this game, I thought. He didn't try to force too much, but, you know, he, he missed layups and stuff like that. So typical Westbrook stuff, brick, brick threes, um, that sort of stuff. But he, he, looked, he looked good overall, kind of doing the rust stuff that he does, setting up plays, putting pressure on the rim. But what, what is the incremental thing? What is the thing that you need if you had to make a list of small things, right? And just small things, not, not just change the lineup because everybody's screaming for that already, you know, to, mm. to not, not play too bigs. But what is the small process thing? that you want to see this Lakers team start doing that they have not done or, or, you know, maybe they did a little bit of it this time, but they need to carry it over into the next game. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I would say pick and roll defense. So, and in two, on two facets. So, you know, you, you kind of mentioned Deandre Jordan earlier, like being, uh, it might've been you who mentioned this on Twitter, but it might've been someone else. So I apologize if I'm crediting the wrong person here, but the, the, there's a difference between being in a drop coverage and being active in a drop coverage. And DeAndre Jordan has a tendency in those pick and roll coverages to just stand there with his hands out by his side. And like, yeah, if you drive right into him like an idiot, he's going to, he's going to bother you. But, but if you, but like, if you, as far as where you're at there in that little pocket of space there between the guy who's still caught on the screen and in the, the four or five feet between you and DeAndre Jordan, you're extremely comfortable as the ball handler. And, you know, one of the things that I'd like to see is just more activity from that drop, that drop coverage man to at least force him to uh, uh, force the, the guard to, to continue to penetrate and, and, and possibly do something that he doesn't want to do instead of something that he's comfortable doing. You know what I mean? Like Kawhi Leonard is one of the best in the world at this. Like he will not let you dribble comfortably outside of outside on the perimeter. He's always going to be up in you trying to make you make a decision that you don't want to make. You know what I mean? And that's what, that's what all of the pick and roll defenders on the Lakers need to do at the, at the, at the big position. And then the guards just need to do a better job of chasing over the top right now. Russ, I thought did a pretty good job in the first half of this. Bays has done a pretty good job all season so far of this, but almost everyone else on the roster, especially Rondo, especially Malik Monk, those guys are getting caught too much on that kind of thing. And that's something that they can get better at even just incrementally over the course of the season to make that coverage work, if that makes sense. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, the Lakers probably last season, yeah, I would say last regular season with Gasol um, and then AD in spots, and then obviously the first season with JaVale and uh, Dwight in that, in that position, like they had very, very consistent coverage, I would say, against mm-hmm. the, uh, at least from the big, from pick and roll, like, JaVale was one of those guys where he would just straight up run up and, and just basically hedge whoever was coming off of the screen. And because mm-hmm. he knew he was so long, even if you beat him off the hip, he would still try to get to your shot. Sometimes mm-hmm. it would result in um, – I think he used to get called for goaltends a lot because of it because he used to kind of mistime some of those blocks or he'd be a little bit too late getting to the blocks. But he, it was always consistent, right? So you always knew what JaVale was going to do. So the rest of his teammates knew that, all right, either JaVale is going to – you know make sure this guy doesn't turn the corner or if he does, he's going to go for this block. So I, I know where I need to be. Um, Dwight, former defensive player of the year. He know, like, he's also much, much better, right? He, he can stay, he can stand in an open space against a lot of ball handlers and still, you know, kind of hold his own as they're coming mm-hmm. off, off this pick and roll. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Deandre, when he's put in this position, when he's put in that position, 
he does exactly what you're describing, which is he just kind of stands in the middle of no man's land. So he's not in position to, you know, deflect an alley-oop and he's not in position to block a shot or challenge mm-hmm. a shot uh, with enough authority. So I agree with you. I, I think that should be a small process thing that, that, that should improve. Um, one of the process things that I would like to see uh, sort of improve is um, better, better uh, guard rebounding. Like, uh, like Russ grabbed a couple of rebounds, but one of the things that I think I was uh, a little happy about, or I was happy to see is, um, you know, when they played Malik Monk today, like he was in jumping into traffic and and grabbing some rebounds and then he would push it out on the break. Um, when they did, when he had his first shift, uh, after, after, at the very beginning of the game and Mm -hmm. some of them, some of them, you know, like the shot quality was pretty good. Uh, you know, the guys that he was setting up, he has a little bit of an issue sometimes with like tunnel vision. Like he kind of misses guys that are already standing and waiting. Um, but that's okay. Cause he's kind of still learning, uh, as the process goes, but like, um, if the Lakers are going to play two bigs, those two bigs aren't going to come out to like the mid range area to rebound the ball or, or the long two area to rebound the ball. And there needs to be better rebounding from that standpoint. Cause you know, like if, if they're not, if people, if you're going to scare teams away from taking shots at the rim, that's fine. But then you can't also let them get the long rebounds if you're forcing them into, into, you know, threes and jumpers. So, that kind of stuff has to be cleaned up or else like the second chance opportunities will eventually catch up to them. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think, did you see? I a hundred percent agree. You know, who used to be really good at that was KCP. If you yeah. remember, he used to, he he'd always understood like the value of the defensive rebound uh, and, and understanding that the possession is worthless. If you can't get and secure the rebound after it's way more valuable than the transition attempt, if that makes sense. Um, and, and, and I actually thought, I'm glad you pointed out Malik. Cause I actually thought Malik looked pretty good tonight. Um, he stopped another transition play where Chris Paul kind of had a scheme, had a scheme and he forced him into a fadeaway. He's actually blown up, I think four fast breaks already this season, which is kind of wild for a thin wiry six foot three guard. Um, another guy who used to do a really good job of what you're talking about is Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma used to do a really good job of coming flying in from out of the play to help secure the defensive rebound. I'm with you. That's definitely something that can be incrementally approved, improved um, uh, kind of along the same vein in terms of like something that uh, strategically kind of drives me insane. And I, w- I want to see if you agree with this. So like, again, Chris Paul gets you on a screen and gets you on a switch. And so let's say it's, you know, uh, uh, Anthony Davis, for instance, because I think he made at least what three or four pull up, long twos over Anthony Davis. So on those plays, Anthony Davis is kind of like corralling him. You know what I mean? Like, like I kind of have him where I want him on the floor. I'm taking away the rim. He's not getting by me. And so on the surface, it looks like good defense. Right. And then, and then Chris Paul takes the fade away and you think, Oh, like Anthony Davis did his job. He made, he made Chris Paul take a, a tough fade away and his hand was right there. It just, just went in like, Got to shake the guy's hand. And my opinion on that is like Chris Paul wants that. He yeah. wants that shot. All he's doing on those weird corral dribbles is he's just getting his rhythm and getting yeah. to the point where he feels comfortable. And my thing, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with Kawhi Leonard. There was a, there was a famous game like years ago. I don't know if you guys remember. I think it was KD's last game in, or last season in Golden State where he was in Toronto on the road and Golden State was down three coming out of a timeout and uh, Kevin Durant was bringing the ball up the floor 
and, and Kawhi just jumped him and, and made it, instead of letting him get comfortable. Cause you know, you always think of Katie taking that pull up three over LeBron, right? Like one of the critical mistakes LeBron made there is yeah, you contested the shot. Yeah. You made KD take a pull up three, but that's the shot Katie wanted and he was comfortable. And so you have to, at a certain point, strategically, you got to jump him. And yeah, he might beat you off the dribble, but if he beats you off the dribble, first of all, he didn't want to do that on that play. He wanted his jump shot. So now he's, he's adapting on the fly. Secondly, you put yourself in a position where your help defenders can be there and maybe you can rotate your way out of it. But just strategically, it's something I'd like to see teams, all teams do a better job of. It's like when they get the switch and they're doing all those rhythm dribbles, you, you can't just let them do that because they've won the possession at that point. At a certain point, you've got to jump the person and make them do something else. Even if it's what seems like a high percentage play, just because it's not what they want to do and they're uncomfortable, it might give you a better chance of success, especially when they already have the rhythm. Like you said, Chris Paul got his rhythm at the free throw line and built his confidence. And he rode that into making a bunch of contested jump shots on the surface. It looks like good defense, but in reality, Chris Paul was comfortable and he was getting exactly what he wanted. Yeah. Chris Paul's old ass. That's what he wants to do. Like he wants it. Like he's old. Like, well, why do you think LeBron when he was like for the past couple of years, like he keeps looking down at his hand, like there's a rhythm and there's a motion that these old guys get into because that's what they're most comfortable with. And Chris Paul's old ass was trying to do that all through the playoffs. And then once he ran into the Bucks, Drew Holiday said, all right, we're not doing this. Sh- we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> and he started pressing him from like three quarters of the court. He had Chris Paul dribbling backwards for like six of those games. Like mm-hmm. he said, I'm not going to let you get into rhythm. So what it forced them to do was it, and, you know, obviously this is, this is the Buck series. This is different because you, you game plan differently. Lakers may not game plan the same way because it's a regular season, obviously, but it's, when you when you press the ball handler uh, and from half court, and you don't let him get comfortable and dictate which where the screen's coming from, so like the screen the the, the defense dictates where the screen comes from. So now DeAndre yep. Ayton has to set that screen way above the three point line. So now maybe DeAndre Jordan's not kind of confused as to what you know what he's supposed to do. He's not standing in, in no man's land or uh, you know the AD or whoever whoever the guard is. Sorry, uh, he, he can recover or switch or whatever that has to happen. But if you're just letting them dribble around and do whatever they want to do, like they're just going to pick their spots, you know, like Devin Booker is just going to dribble right to the free throw line. Like he likes to, and he's going to pull up. Right. And Mm -hmm. he he doesn't like going left. Like Booker doesn't like going left. Chris Paul doesn't like going left. Like neither of them like to go left. That's something that the Clippers scouted out in the playoffs last year. Like if you force them to go in a certain direction, you can dictate what they're, you know, what decision that they're going to make. And again, like I said, it's just regular season, but I, you're right. Like, AD is the athlete. Like, why are you watching this old dude just kind of tell you, you know, dictate what kind of shot he's going to take? Like, he knows that he's not going to get by you. Uh, and if he gets by you, he's probably just going to stop short and try and draw a foul with you running into him from behind because that's what Chris Paul does. So it's, I think these kind of small things, they probably get ironed out over the course of the season. Um, but, you know, you bring up an interesting thing, you know, like, uh, I, I'm sure that Chris Paul is shooting that jumper over Anthony Davis. That highlight's going to be shared like on Twitter, right? And people are going to mm-hmm. be like, oh, look, AD, are you guys sure he's the defense player here? Blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And so what, what is your thought on what AD has looked like? Um, I, I, let me ask uh, specifically on the offensive end. What, what do you think, what has AD looked like to you on the offensive end uh, so far through these two games? 
So it's it's ironic, right? Because he looked fantastic in the opening night game, but the two games sandwiching that were two of the worst games he's ever played. I think he was four for nineteen against Sacramento, and then I don't remember his final stat line from tonight. I think he was like, but it was bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the the, the point. The, so uh, Anthony Davis tries to build his rhythm in the same way that Kuzma tries to build his rhythm, and it's something that has always driven me nuts. It's this idea that, like, they go into the game and they start by taking tough shots. And when they start going in, it's like, it's like you're, you're just, you're SOL. You're done. Like, even Kyle Kuzma, he makes a couple of his tough ones to start the game. He might get 27. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but, like, with Anthony Davis, it's like a nuclear version of that, right? Like, he was just unstoppable against Golden State because he was making all of those tough, fading, leaning shots in the lane. But then when he misses them, when he misses them to start the game, there's no easy to bounce that, balance that out, you know. And one of the reasons why LeBron has been so efficient throughout his entire career, he always builds his rhythm with easy ones. The, one of the reasons why he's made a bunch of threes to start this season, like you pointed out earlier, the shot quality is fantastic. The threes he takes are always in rhythm, in balance, uncontested. And then maybe the third or fourth one makes might be contested. But at that point, he already has his rhythm. At that point, it's like Chris Paul on those little step back jump shots. He's exactly where he wants to be and he's comfortable. And if that makes sense. So one of the things that I'd like to see Anthony Davis do a better job, because physically he looks great. I think that's good. Although tonight was weirdly reminiscent of game uh, game one, where he kind of got physically pushed around a lot by Aiton. Um, there was that, the, the famous one where they both got the double technicals there. I think it was early fourth quarter, might've been late third quarter where, Mm -hmm. where got the ball deep under the basket and Aiton just kind of shoved him around and didn't get the no call, obviously, because the refs were letting a lot of that kind of stuff go. And next thing you know, AD's falling out of bounds and the ball is off of him. And now he's screaming at Aiton, he's screaming at the refs. And it's like, no, man, like the refs are letting this be physical. And you just got out physical by the third year center. You know, the, 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 you know, the same one that you were talking trash to the other night in the preseason. So, like, at a certain point, you know, and some of this is on the spacing stuff. It's kind of all tied together because I do think it'd be easier for Anthony Davis to get easier shots to start the game if he wasn't playing alongside DeAndre Jordan. But I, but I do get frustrated watching his process of offense. And he's so damn talented that it doesn't really affect him that much. But I do think that the next level for him is is consistency right like the next level for him is almost every night looks like that golden state game and the best way for that to happen is to consistently build his rhythm the right way by starting with easy stuff and working his way backwards from there yeah so i i agree with you um i was going to i was going to riff on the you know i i don't know if you're planning on bringing up guests um but if if we don't have time tonight well guys we're going to do guests on sunday night after that game we have our we're just doing hard 55 minute outs for dash radio so obviously vinay is a a different guest than raj and i've had for a long time so we wanted to kind of give him an opportunity to uh, um, you know, kind of talk about some stuff that we haven't talked about before, but Raj and I will both be back Sunday and we'll do guests then. So tonight we're going to just do Vinay, but I do appreciate you guys for, for coming in. I appreciate you understanding and I hope you'll come back on Sunday and request to speak then. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I think, um, he, he's not doing himself any favors, um, 
when it comes to having the, having the second big on the floor, I don't think he's ever going to get good touches or he's ever going to get good looks um, with if, if, as long as they continue to run um, two bigs to start games. Because it's just really, really hard between asking Russ to attack the rim to collapse the paint Braun, you know, Braun's look great because he's making all these open threes. Mm-hmm. But it's just like where now where where do AD shots come from, right? He's not in the dunker spot. He's either standing in the corner. He's not the one who's making the screens for um, Russ. Like he's not involved in the offense in the way you want. Like maybe you run a couple pick and pop plays because you can't run a pick and roll play with DeAndre there. Exactly, going to be a second guy mm-hmm. available. So it's just there's a lot of stuff. I think his offense is suffering because of the two bigs. And, uh, you know, I know there's a tug of war on, on Twitter about, you know, is it Vogel? Is it AD? Um, I, you know, whatever it is, I think his offense is suffering the most because of it. Uh, because, and, and, you know, one of the things I talked about uh, in the offseason, or I was kind of trying to mention in the offseason, is that if the Lakers size down and he plays the five, there's more opportunity for him to get more pick and pops, and there's more opportunity for him to get, like, easy alley-oop attempts or you know one of those Russ collapses the paint and kind of drops it off to him and he has to kind of finish through somebody like something that to, to help him get like sort of a lather uh, as it relates yep. to what it is maybe he gets a couple quick early fouls so that he can get to the free throw line find his jump shot a little bit earlier stuff like that it, it's I think the too big thing more than it's hurting Russ it's hurting AD because it's allowing him to do exactly what you're describing which is he takes a bunch of jump shots, which were probably low-quality jump shots because, you know, the, everybody on defense is just standing around. Everybody on offense is just standing around. And they're not good-quality jump shots. And if he makes them, that's great. You know, we get a start like the Warriors game where we're like, wow, Anthony Davis is back. <laughs> or, we get games like th- or we get games like this one where it just doesn't look good, you know. Yep. And th- there was a point where uh, I want to say – at the beginning of the game, they ran a pick and roll with AD, and he did like a pick and pop jumper at the free throw line, which he made, and it looked great. I was like, "Oh wow, it looks like DeAndre Ayton's not going to step out on these. They should just keep running this over and over again." And then they like never ran it, <laughs> and I was just like, "Okay, like I, I don't understand like what's going." You know, like so that that's what I'm trying to say. Like it doesn't. There's no consistency when you have two bigs on the floor, so it hurts your offensive players the most. Uh, so you're taking away Russ's ability to attack. Uh, you know, get the first step on his guy and attack the paint. And now you're also making it difficult for AD to do anything with the ball when, when it's in his hand. Braun can shoot the shit out of the ball, so it's not going to matter. He'll be fine. It won't, it won't be a big deal at all. Um, so I, that I'm my concern with AD on the defensive end is not is not that big because I think once his conditioning gets there and stuff like that, some of the some of the silly stuff that he's getting cooked for, it, it'll go away eventually. My concern is genuinely on the offensive end with him. Mm-hmm. Like he has to, be, he has to be good. Like we can't. These last two games, LeBron has been great, like great to to his standard, and and he's doing it in a way that I did not expect him to do, which is which is with the three ball. Like I did not expect LeBron to be taking as many threes to start games as he has, but he has, and he's been doing really well. I need AD to build some consistency, and uh, you know I'm not gonna lie, I know that Laker fans probably don't want to see the Lakers start off, you know, like 0-3, 0-4, 0-5. But if that's the way that we get an 80 at the 5 lineup, like, I'd rather they lose because I honestly think that's the only way the Lakers are going to win. Like, 80 has to be committed to playing that 5 position, at least to start the games, like flip the rotation. Start 80 at the 5, 
and then go into the two bigs or whatever it is you want to do against opposing benches. Yep, I bring, don't bring against- Dwight in to end the first quarter because AD and Dwight actually right. have a weird defensive like like craziness to them that's hard to, for other teams to score on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't 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 start with the two bigs. Mm-hmm. Jumpstart your offense by playing a space lineup and then grind the game down to a halt against opposing benches. But don't don't do it the other way because I think when they I think teams have already kind of scouted the Lakers out because Vogel hasn't really changed very much of his philosophy mm-hmm. and they kind of know how they want to approach these games. So like uh who does Memphis have? Memphis has uh Steven Adams, right? Yep. Like he's a tri- now now this is three games now folks. Like for anybody that's listening We've had Kevon Looney, we have DeAndre Ayton, and we've had Steven Adams. If they go with two bigs again, you're going to see very, very similar stuff. You're going to see the four guys space it out so AD can't help uh, help on defense for DeAndre if DeAndre gets pulled away. And you're going to see like the same sort of thing happen. LeBron will probably get really good shots. Russ may look good too as well. But we don't know what version of AD we're going to get because we're running two bigs. That's That's – uh, that's that's probably the one thing that's on my mind more than anything at all. I, I'm so glad you did such a good job of breaking that down, and I sincerely appreciate it. I, I, first of all, thank you again for hopping on here. I really uh, enjoy having you on when you do have the time for it. You did such a good job of breaking that down because it's so, you know, my biggest beef with the analytics community has nothing to do with analytics. It has to do with the fact that they kind of disconnect. They try to take away the organic elements of basketball because there are organic elements to basketball. They're, 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 they're meaning like it's not no two shots are the same is the easiest way that I could break it down. OK. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really this simple. OK. So I've, I've been playing basketball the vast majority of my life. And and some days when I play, I shoot well. And some days when I play, I don't. Now, you can try to associate that with just luck, but I don't see it that way. It's usually a culmination of a bunch of factors. OK. Sometimes it's just somebody who does a really good job guarding me. Sometimes it's bad process on my part. Sometimes it's, you know, some janky zone that just throws you out of your rhythm or whatever it is. But the bottom line is there's like a, there's an, like a natural organic flow to a basketball game. And the way you start is the, is the, it is always going to be that first step in whatever direction you're going in. You know, like the, the Russ had a horrible, horrible game on on tuesday night but it started with a janky you know ugly offense type of flow in 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 that first stint with those starters and i genuinely believe even if it hurts you with your defensive rating even if it hurts you in terms of uh uh, rebounding even if it hurts you in 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 a handful of these different even if other teams had more points in the paint which by the way phoenix absolutely destroyed us in the paint in the first half despite us playing DeAndre Ayton and Dwight Howard and, and Anthony Davis for large portions of that. So you couldn't tell me that has anything to do with it. But at the end of the day, if you could sacrifice a bunch of those things, but you could tell me that Anthony Davis would be more confident after every one of his first stints, I would take it. Because at the end of the day, this team goes as far as LeBron and Anthony Davis take them. And the only way that they will consistently play well LeBron's going to be LeBron. LeBron is one of the most consistent players in NBA history. But for Anthony Davis to be consistent, I think it's going to have to be with him being at the five because it's the only way for him to inevitably get that organic basketball game flow headed off on the right foot every night because he has, like you said, like you cannot run a pick and roll with Anthony Davis because of the dunker 
uh, DeAndre Jordan in the dunker spot. So you have to have him spot up and you have to have DeAndre Jordan come up and set the screen. What if every action to start the game was Anthony Davis? It was either Russ and AD or LeBron and AD or Russ and AD or LeBron and AD. Chances are he's going to get off to better starts every night. It's just, and it will inherently lead to better free throw shooting because he feels more confident in himself. It'll inherently lead to better three point shooting. It'll lead to better defense. His defense suffered tonight because he was struggling and it manifested in other areas of his game. And, and, and you cannot tell me till that uh, you could present the most amazing list of metrics this world has ever seen that breaks down even the most intricate basketball possessions. And you'll never be able to tell me that there isn't like a living organism to the way that a basketball game progresses. And that no. always gets lost in these kinds of things. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think all this stuff is like incremental stuff. Um, it's all, it all contributes in small ways, you know, more touches for Anthony Davis, more consistent touches in a row for Anthony Davis, like stuff like that, you know, allowing people to slot into the positions that they have. My thing is this, like, what do you have to lose in the regular season? If, if, if we're going exactly. to step back, if we're going to step back as Laker fans and say that, look, the regular season doesn't matter. It's a process. We have to learn to be the best team that we can and build good habits so that going into the playoffs, we're locked in and we know what we are. Just like we did two years ago, just like we did last year, which, which is why we survived, you know, not having brought in AD there. Then what is the harm in doing it now? There is no harm in trying it now. And if it, if it fails, if it sucks, then okay. Then you go back to the drawing board and, and you do it differently. And we're already but losing. We now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now we also, but now we have two years Two years and two games, you know, or not two full years, obviously, but we have a lot of games of seeing this not work. You know what I mean? And it, I, mm. I don't know what more Vogel needs to see or Anthony Davis needs to see or if it's a wear and tear thing. Like, look, if Anthony Davis says, look, it's too much wear and tear on my body to play the five, I'm going to miss possessions. I won't get the defense rebound. All right, cool, man. Like, let's give up more offensive rebounds. We can look at it in film and we can tell the rest of the guards or we can tell LeBron, like, hey, help him out help him rebound the ball and stuff like that because he can't do it himself. But how do we come to that conclusion if we don't actually see it happen, right? It can't all just be mm-hmm. hypothetical conversations. And so I'm, I'm just curious to see. This, this, this uh, game on Sunday, um, it's going to be another traditional five. And I won't be surprised if Vogel plays two bigs yet again. I, I just I don't know what's going to happen um, because I think it's a little bit of fool's gold some, that those lineups kind of start off really well because – we kind of see what happens um, after that. So, you know, it, I, I, a lot of this, you know, conversation has been very critical, but there were definitely, you know, small things that, that were improving. I think the, the Monk plus Russ, them being kind of active rebounders in the guard position and pushing out in transition, I think that was really, really good stuff. And I think it's something that the mm-hmm. Lakers can build on. I hope that Austin Reeves kid uh, gets, more, gets more burned because I, I actually do like him and how he plays and stuff like that. He kind of fits in naturally. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll eventually get there. And sure. you, you and I are both, you and I are both Laker optimists and, yeah. and over the course of the season, it's, there's a difference between frustration and like actual pessimism. Those are two completely different things, you know, mm-hmm. and I would describe what we're feeling as frustration, which is warranted in this case. Um, but anyway, uh, Vinay, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to join me tonight. Um, means a lot. I hope we will see you many times throughout this season uh, when time permits. And uh, for all of you guys who listen, thank you so much for hanging out over the course of the last hour. Roz will be back on Sunday and hopefully we
we can do a, a show like this after a Lakers win and, uh, and get you guys up here to talk about something positive instead of something negative. All right, man. I appreciate appreciate subbing in for Raj. Hopefully he comes back sober and healthy. And if you guys are good, <laughs> you guys are good to go on Sunday. But, uh, you know, I appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, as, as always, you guys continue to do great, great stuff with these post games. So I always enjoy it. Thanks, Renee. All right, everybody. Have a good night.